All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm on the road right now in Houston, Texas. The show um, today is special because I record people along this road, along this journey uh, here uh, in the uh, great United States of America, but all with an eye towards the land of Israel and to, to a greater connection to Hashem. Uh, and so you are going to hear now from David Friedman, Ambassador David Friedman. Uh, you're going to hear from Joel Griffith, who made a party just for the new government of Israel. You'll hear from campus uh, activists and Jews that are out there on the front lines of uh, staying Jewish and not assimilating, and all that in this good land, uh, fighting the fight of, of staying connected to Hashem, staying Jewish, not assimilating, and not succumbing to the anti-Semitism that is indeed challenging even this good land. Uh, I'll tell you more about what I'm doing in, in uh, Houston, Texas at the end of the show, uh, but enjoy. And let's rock it with uh, Ambassador David Friedman. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here, and I'm with uh, the ambassador. The ambassador. You know, in Italy, they had a guy named the, the Avvocato, the, the advocate, and he was the head of Italy. We have one ambassador, and that's uh, David Friedman, uh, author of Sledgehammer, uh, ambassador to Israel from the United States under the Trump administration. And his exploits are legend uh, from the move uh, of the uh, embassy to Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, uh, to the Abraham Accords. His name uh, is, uh, is already legend in the Jewish world. His book, by the way, Sledgehammer, is fabulous. Not only is it interesting, but also a good read, a well-written good read. And I congratulate you, uh, Mr. Ambassador, for that. Just a few thoughts about what's going on today uh, in the Jewish world. I came down to Florida first to um, Florida State University, FSU, to uh, talk with students and I thought they would ask me a lot of questions about Israel, but they asked me all the time about anti-Semitism. They're facing a lot of anti-Semitism out there. And I wanted to ask you first thing, what is the state of anti-Semitism? Uh, and give us a thought about how to uh, counteract it these days. Well, I think it's as bad as it's been uh, in our generation, may, may, maybe, uh, maybe going back longer. Um, it's very, very disturbing. And I think it, um, it, it falls into different categories. You know, the one that in America, you know, we feel the most acutely is just, you know, street violence. People are uh, beating up Jews, people who look Jewish, who identify as Jewish, wearing kippot or wearing, uh, you know, Hasidic garb. Uh, you know, they're just walking down the street and they're getting beaten up. And that is, uh, as much as anything, a function of the failure of our law enforcement system in America. You know, we have, uh, because the people that do this don't go to jail. Uh, there are these extraordinary, you know, cases of guys who uh, beat up Jews. Uh, they may get arrested. They're, they, they're, they're let out almost immediately. They, they strike plea deals for no jail time or minimal jail time, even though they admit they're, they have no remorse. They want to do it again. So you have this whole, you know, failure of law enforcement in America which has, uh, which I think is is unprecedented and is contributing to to the feelings by anti semites that they can be anti semites with impunity. So that's sort of let's call it the street level of anti semitism. Then you have you know um, the, the the fact that you know among uh, American universities and we have you know we have some great universities. Uh, uh, people learn all kinds of uh, uh, highly sophisticated you know areas of academic thought, but. If you are a pro-Israel professor on an American university, you're not getting tenure. And the, the result of that is um, you, you, Israel does not get a fair shake among the smartest, you know, the, the best and the brightest of our society. The people who are going to be the leaders of American society in the future are, are learning that Israel, uh, the, the, the right of Israel to exist is itself dubious. So that's very dangerous because that does not augur well for the future of America's support for, for Israel. So I think I worry about that more because in the long term that could be um, that, that that could that, that could be the, the most significant problem that we face. Uh, and then of course there's just a, you know just a general you know anti-Zionism uh, movement which is you know um, uh, you know people try to uh, masquerade anti-Semitism uh, saying you know I don't hate Jews I just don't like Israel. Of course, it's a crock. If you're an anti-Zionist, you're an anti-Semite. But um, but that that movement is 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 strong as well. Um, you know, we have to fight back. You know, uh, we have to fight back uh, on on all fronts. And uh, the most important thing is we must be you know brutally uh, uh, brutally uh, candid and unapologetic about the rights of the Jewish people to live in their biblical homeland. 
Um, uh, never apologize for it. Never make excuses for it. Um, never try to rationalize it. I mean, the Jewish people and the land of Israel uh, is 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 something that uh, has been a, uh, a a value of of ours and frankly of America. You know, given given all the Judeo Christian values upon which America has has been based, it's something that um, that we just need to stand for and and, and not compromise. And um, uh, I think we'll win this fight, but it's 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 very concerning right now. And that includes also this new f- wave of black uh, anti-Semitism, Kanye West, etc., that has made anti-Semitism cool. Yeah, it's really disheartening because, you know, the civil rights movement was really a partnership between the black community and the Jewish community because, you know, in the 1960s, uh, it it was the Jews that marched with with Martin Luther King uh, and, and with his colleagues, you know, in the South. I mean, three Jews were murdered. You know, that famous movie, Mississippi Burning, three Jews were murdered, you know, uh, getting, you know, helping uh, blacks register to vote. Um, we've always had, uh, you know, a deep um, sympathy for any people that does, doesn't have civil rights. And Martin Luther King himself was very much a Zionist. So, you know, naturally we are allies. We should be allies. But that's all now upside down, as so much of the world is. It's upside down. And, uh, and it's, uh, again, it, it's, it's a much, very much a cause of concern. All right, let's talk about uh, something that you were one of the spearheads of, and that's the Abraham Accords. Give me, give me the temperature, the state of, uh, of, the, state of uh, the Abraham Accords. Um, an example of some questions for you is, I don't see a lot of UAE folks visiting Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and I'm getting the feeling that it's a little bit like the peace with Jordan or the peace with Egypt, where we have a supposedly warm peace, but in fact, it's not so warm. The other, dif- there's a difference though, Israelis are going to Dubai and Abu Dhabi pretty much en masse. But what's the situation? Another thing happened, which was Itamar ben is going up to the Temple Mount. The, the, um, the UAE came out strongly against that. And, you know, for some of us, it was like, let, let's put, put it this way, those who defend the Abraham Accords, it was a lot of people were like, you see, you see, they're not like your friends and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, what's the state of the uh, of that uh, covenant? Look, I think the Abraham Accords are are still on solid ground, and I think that um, you know these are all very new relationships that um, uh, ha- have been neglected, you know, by the by the Biden administration. So, you know, with any new relationship, you know, there are going to be you know bumps in the road. There'll be some turbulence, and I think you know we'll find more. I, I would I would say to you, Shai, though, that. You know, maybe um, maybe a year and a half ago, when you had the um, you, you had the war in Gaza that you know came after the uh, Abraham Accords, uh, only about a month after the Abraham Accords, and um, you know there were there were people in America uh, and in Europe who were saying that Israel was using disproportionate force and Israel's it was Israel's fault because it was fighting back too hard. Um, and uh, to their credit, you know, uh, that, that was never a position taken by any of our Abraham Accord partners. And I went and met with, um, with, um, with many of them after the war because I actually wanted to ask them a question. You know, here was our first test. How did you think we did? And they all said, look, we passed with flying colors. We understand Israel's challenges. Uh, we're not looking to demagogue this issue. Uh, we understand exactly what Hamas is capable of doing because we, say we face the same threats on our own soil. Um, and, um, and, and, and so, and so I, I think in many respects, the, um, the uh, Abraham Accord countries have performed admirably. Now, here's the problem. They all look, in any of their international reactions in the Middle East, they all look first to the United States, right? You know, nobody is going to be more pro-Israel than America. And when they see that America itself is not standing up for, for Israel, um, I think that's where things start to get, you know, confusing. Now, what's what's crazy about all this is the rights of the Jewish people to pray on the Temple Mount actually is 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 not controversial or debatable. Uh, if you look at the peace treaty between Israel and Jordan in 1994, there's a section that deals with holy sites, and this is not a, this is not a section on sovereignty. It's just a, a section on access, and it says that both countries will afford all of the citizens of the other country full, uh, complete, unfettered access to all the respective holy sites as long as they're members of any of the three monotheistic faiths. Jordan agreed to that. 
I mean, Jordan agreed. I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like a lawyer, so let me make it simple. Jordan agreed that Jews could pray on the Temple Mount. Mm-hmm. Okay, I mean, that's what they agreed to. Okay, and um, and they've walked that back from the day they signed that treaty. And um, and Israel, uh, you know, hasn't enforced it the way they could. And you know, that's Israel's decision for whatever geopolitical or security reasons they choose. But um, but uh, I don't understand the criticism when uh, you know Ben Gvir went up. You know, on a morning it was quiet. It wasn't. It wasn't provocative. Um, you know, hundreds of members of the Knesset over the years have gone onto the Temple Mount. So I think this was, you know, an attempt by whoever are the enemies of Israeli, you know, prayer at their holiest site, whoever those people are, I'm not even sure who they are, um, this was certainly an effort by them to make really a mountain out of a molehill. Okay, I have one last question for you, and it's something that I don't usually cover on the show so much, uh, but I think that you, throughout all your career, uh, have lived in the two worlds, Israel and America. Uh, when I was living many years ago in Beit El, you were the chairman of Beit El Institutions and uh, helping raise money for building of Beit El. So I you know, heard your name back then, working in Arutz Sheva. So I wanted to ask you about, you know, usually the show is pretty much 100% about Israel. Mm-hmm. But I do want to ask you about American Jewry. How's it doing? And also about Florida. It's interesting. There's a real sense that New York is kind of being emptied out a little bit, or at least there's a big move and there's a big financial and human movement down here. Um, There's also a sense of polarization as though this is a free state. That's one of the languages around here. DeSantis, people feel safe here. They don't like the politics of New York, especially Orthodox Jews. and then there's always that, that, that chatter about, you know, America not going in the right direction, or maybe it's past its prime, that kind of thing. At the same time, when you come here, you see that it's still a very powerful, very big, successful country. Uh, and at the same time, when you look at the government of the United States, it's not that same solid foundation that we were used to when I was a kid. So what's the state of affairs for America and American Jewry? That's a very complicated question and could result in a very complicated answer, which I'm sure you don't have time for. So let's let's try to break it down a little bit. Um, look, they say that every uh, empire, you know, has about a three to four hundred year maximum, you know, longevity. Uh, Ottoman Empire, British Empire, you go back, you know, the Roman Empire. Um, I hope that's not the case for America because the world needs a strong America. Um, we are we're being disserved right now by a a very weak president, uh, partly because of his policies, partly because of his infirmities. Um, uh, he's not the right guy to be leading. Forgetting about Democrat or Republican, he's not the right guy to be proje- projecting American strength, which is so important to keeping the world uh, peaceful and prosperous. Um, but that changes. I mean, it change. You know, politics. Uh, one thing you can tell about politics, it changes. I learned that the hard way. You know, the, the winds of politics are very volatile. But in this case, I hope there. I hope that volatility continues because we need a change for the better. You know, as between New York and in Florida, I mean, New York is still the third largest Jewish community in the world, right? After after um, Israel and then America and then New York all by itself is the third largest Jewish community, and I believe New York has a future. Um, there needs to be, it, it just needs to go back to the old days under Bloomberg or Giuliani where, you know, they prosecuted the laws. People who committed horrible crimes were taken out of uh, society. Um, it's not complicated. Got to support the cops. Got to support the teachers. Got to allow people to choose their schools, whether public schools or private schools, make sure people get a good education. It's simple. It's blocking and tackling. We lost that in New York. We have to get that back. And Florida is great. I mean, Florida is just great. I mean, I, I moved here. I know why people moved here. Um, it's not just the weather. Um, it is a, um, a more hospitable uh, environment. Um, it's an incredibly uh, pro-Israel environment. South Florida has, you know, a lot of Israelis and a lot of pro-Israel uh, uh, Jews. And it's a pleasure to be here. But I'm not giving up on New York either. And we can't give up on New York because it's just New York is New York. Mm. So... Uh, 
Look, there's, uh, you know, we're in a, um, a challenging period of time. We've been through greater challenges, and even in our, our lifetimes, which don't go back long enough to face the real challenges of the, uh, of the first half of the 20th century. Those were, those were really hard times. So we will, uh, we will get through this and, and persevere, and Jewish people will always, uh, will always persevere and, and flourish. And, of course, uh, the state of Israel is the, uh, is the greatest thing to happen to the Jewish people in, uh, in uh, thousands and thousands of years, and we have to make Israel strong and prosperous always. Ambassador David Friedman, thank you very much for your time. The book is called Sledgehammer, and the good news is that uh, people who don't know, it's also on Audible. <laughs> okay, and those of us who love audiobooks and really cherish audiobooks, uh, uh, Netanyahu's book is also on Audible. Mm-hmm. Other people from your team, their books are also there. Sure. But your team is, uh, your book is there, and it is fabulous. I highly recommend it. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not so long. You can read it over uh, a Shabbat or two, uh, but it gives you a real sense of being a political insider, uh, and also shows you the great um, balancing act between. Acting diplomatically, but also acting forthrightly, meaning to say wanting to achieve something, not just, you know, doing it politically correct so that, you know, everybody's balanced off and that nobody gets offended. No, 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 no. Wanting to achieve actual things. Comment on that. Well, look, I tried to give that uh, perspective in the book. It is, um, it is a balancing act. You know, I'm representing the United States of America. My, my loyalties in this job were to the United States. That's my job. Um, I was fortunate enough to know uh, to work for people that saw Israel as, a, as an essential ally of the United States and one who, when we support Israel, we're really supporting America. It's really quintessential American value to support Israel. Not everybody feels that way, but the people on our team all felt that way. Uh, every day, you know, I went to work, I was prepared to quit if I was asked to do something that would compromise mm-hmm. my values. And I'm grateful, grateful to God that that, that day never came. Yeah, not only were they not compromised, but they were moved forward. Uh, you also are working on uh, a feature film that you filmed in Israel, was covered uh, with, uh, with uh, Secretary of State Pompeo about the Israel Biblical Highway, about Route 60, and the biblical stories that took place there. We're very excited to see that come out, and we thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you, Yishai. Pleasure. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer here, and I am on top of a beautiful hotel on the rooftop, pool rooftop here, uh, and I'm standing looking at Miami, and I'm surrounded by Jews and pro-Israel people, uh, and we're celebrating a party that I never thought I would be at, and I didn't expect to, to be at this kind of party, a party celebrating the new government of Israel, uh, the, new, the new coalition government. My friend Joel Griffith, uh, who is a fellow uh, at the Heritage Foundation, but here he's wearing the hat uh, of young Jewish conservatives, and he's gathered these people together. Joel, so great to see you here in Miami. And thank you so much for this party. Tell me about why you organized a party like this. Well, it's great to see you, Yishai. You were the one who gave me a tour 10 years ago now, the Tomb of the Matriarchs and the Patriarchs. So it's very good to see you here. And we thought, as uh, Jewish conservatives, as proud Americans, as proud Zionists, we thought that we would host a party to celebrate the incoming government in Israel. And one of the most important reasons that we want to celebrate that government is because this new government is going to strongly support the right of our Jewish relatives overseas and across the world to actually live in the heart of the homeland of the Jewish people, in Judea and Samaria, where your home is. And I think it's all important to recognize this ideal. This, this is a core component of Zionism, recognizing this land was given to us thousands of years ago. It's our legal right, and it's not just a place where we can be safe. It should be a place where we can thrive in the heart of the homeland. Okay, so Joel, that was a good speech about Israel. But we're celebrating here something more specific, which is this coalition. You build this evening specifically uh, as, as certain accomplishments that you hope this coalition can do. Tell me about that. Uh, well, I think one of, the, one of the main objectives we hope the new coalition can achieve is actually reforming the Israeli judiciary. Uh, you, uh, there's a much to be proud of about Israel. But the way that judiciary currently has, and oftentimes a stranglehold over the democratic process, where it becomes rule by judicial fiat rather than rule by the legislature and a balance between the legislature and the judiciary in the executive branch, we hope that there'll be tremendous strides made to ensure that judiciary going forward in Israel will be there not to create the law, but to ensure that the law is being properly followed and implemented. Right. So judiciary is one thing. There's other things that this government hopes to achieve, including rule of law, basically less bullies, less jihadists, 
less prisoners from uh, murderers of Jews celebrating in prison, getting a doctorate degree and having a ball over there. Like a little bit more sanity in terms of who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. A Jewish state uh, that's proud of itself, not suppressing minorities, but certainly ensuring that they're not suppressed by the bullies that suppress the Jews as well, and that's the jihad. Well, that, that's right. And we see a lot that the lines are blurred between the good and the bad. And we've seen that for years with the United States. And you see the United States that has funneled billions of dollars to the Palestinian Authority, an organization that we know pays terrorists who are doing prison time. They put them on the payroll. And I think it's uh, incumbent that both the United States and Israel continue to recognize who our friends are and who the enemies are. And I'll tell you what, in many, many instances, the Palestinian Authority has not been the friend... Are the Jewish people of Israelis, and they haven't been a friend of the Palestinians either. You don't have to mince words on this podcast. I think we both know the Palestinian Authority is regressive, jihadist, corrupt, backwards. It is it is a machine of anti-Semitism and anti-Arabism, in fact, and it's a replacement theory uh, to take away Israel and replace it with Palestine. Um, okay, one last question because I want to let you get back to the party. Um, you talked about enemies and friends. You're a conservative. But the U.S. government currently is not that, okay? And in many ways, funds the enemies of Israel, uh, calls for the cutting away of parts of the land of Israel, et cetera, et cetera. <coughs> as an American, as an American Jew, how do you feel about America right now? How do you, do you see it getting back in line with your values? Well, I'm troubled at the direction our country is going, and particularly over the last two years, this was President Biden. We saw so much progress made over the preceding four years in terms of moving our embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem as the eternal capital of Israel, recognizing the right of the Jewish people to live and build in Judea and Samaria. And this administration has taken us backwards. And two, in the terms of peace agreements that we saw made between Israel and former enemies, we've seen so much of that put on ice and even going backwards. I'm very troubled, but I'm also encouraged. And I'm encouraged that American people seem to be waking up. The Jewish population in particular seem to be coming more alert to, once again, who our friends are, and uh, I'm optimistic for the future. And you're optimistic about, uh, about the future of an American government uh, that will go back in the direction of pro-Israelism like we saw under the Trump administration? Yes, all is not lost. Uh, many of those who worked so hard during the four years, they're still here. We're still here. We're waiting for a change. And in the meantime, we're going to continue to continue to speak truth and to show the world that there is a right, there's a wrong on this. Joel Griffith from Young Jewish Conservatives and uh, the Heritage Foundation, I want to tell you, you're the man making a party for the coalition of the state of Israel here in Miami, right on. That's the way to do it. And that, that I think, is the right attitude. It's not just to be like, let's wait and see. It's let's celebrate the nationalist impulse in Israel, which is going to create a stronger Israel and a better and safer Middle East. And Yishai, there's many of uh, fellow Jewish Americans, such, such as myself, that we love seeing the updates that you're doing from Hebron. We love that you're there representing not just those who are living in Hebron, but representing the Jewish people worldwide and our interests in the heartland. Thank you very much. Thanks, Yishai. All right, folks, I am on the FSU campus, Florida State University, at the Chabad House of Rabbi Rebetzin Oyerichman. Uh, and I'm here with Rabbi Schneer Oyerichman, who has been here for 23 years at this Chabad House. Uh, lots of ups and downs, lots of stories, uh, including even having uh, your shul burnt down, uh, not by anti-Semitism or anything, but just by... Uh, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, accident, uh, but really giving you a chance to also rebuild your synagogue, uh, which is what's happening right now. Rabbi Orchman, you said something to me before in conversation, which I thought was very important. You said to me that campus is the front line because it's here that where a young American Jewish person decides which direction they're going to go in life. Uh, if Are they going to go in the Jewish path or they're going to assimilate out? Is that, is that right? Is it is it really that stark of a of a moment? Yeah, so we, we see this in the past 23 years that we hear that students, that young men and women that came through the doors and it had just uh, such an impact on their life and the entire life's change. Uh, Jewish men and Jewish, young Jewish men, young Jewish women who were going out with not non-Jewish men and non-Jewish women and we were able to actually separate them and bring them together and see them getting married and see them building a family and involved in Jewish communities. And they say, they tell me, Rabbi, if 
we wouldn't meet here today, it would be in a completely different place. We wouldn't know where we would be. Right. Uh, and I saw, I, saw, I saw a lot of them uh, over Shabbat. But, you know, Chabad here is able to, to get a small percentage, uh, a strong percentage, but a small percentage of the 4,000 Jewish students that are, that are on campus. This is not a strongly Jewish campus, although there's a lot of Jews here. Uh, the, the folks that are coming here are not from like a strong Jewish background, like, I don't know, like a Queens College or something like that, or certainly Yeshiva University. Um, Tell me a little bit about about reaching out to these students uh, and bringing them in. And I guess I guess I have a follow question follow up question for that. But what do you think about that? The issue of getting them to be proudly Jewish. It's very difficult today. It's very hard because students uh, that come here to campus they feel lonely. They don't feel like there are four thousand Jewish uh, students in campus. They feel like they may be the only one, mm. and there are no Jewish fraternities and Jewish sororities here. And so it's a very simulated uh, place, and because of that, students don't don't feel a sense of belonging uh, to a Jewish community. So we have to work very very hard on creating a sense of a Jewish community and creating Jewish life to make them feel that they are part of something bigger. That's why we did last night. I mean, Friday night, uh, a <laughs> big dinner to bring them all out. I mean, to bring a lot of them out with the uh, other two Jewish organizations on campus, a Hillel and the JSU, and invited you to come and speak to show them that there is a Jewish community to teach them about Israel, to teach them about uh, the Jewish people, to make them feel proud of where they are. So they walk out of there and say, wow, I'm not the only one. And typically, mm-hmm. that's we hear after such an event, people say, well, I didn't know there's so many Jewish students on campus, even though mm-hmm. there are, but it's not how it feels. Okay, now, uh, I was very honored that you, that you invited me. Thank you very much. Uh, at the same time, I thought to myself, was it such a good political move for you? I was thinking to myself, because I thought to myself, you know, um, look, uh, I might be, I don't think I'm controversial. I think I'm nice. But some people think that, uh, that some of my opinions are controversial and I haven't been ashamed to say my opinions. Uh, at the same time, you know, I'm, I, have, I have more, more, by the way, pro-Arab uh, time under my belt than, you know, anybody else is out against me. But bottom line is I thought to myself, why would you take the, you know, the, the let's call it quote unquote risk to, to invite me? me out because and here's the issue that i really wanted to ask you about the change in the american atmosphere this wokeness and the offense i'm offended this is offensive and the atmosphere that it's not an open intellectual atmosphere let's hear from a weird different speaker it's not like that at all it's quite the opposite it's a what they call a cancel culture so tell me a little bit about the event that we had vis-a-vis like bringing a person like me but more important to me is the issue of how you're dealing with the woke students and the cancel culture so we have to create a strong well, to create a strong Jewish environment, teach people about Israel, teach people about the Jewish com- community, teach people about things that they're not aware of. So our job is to create awareness, to create Jewish awareness, create Israel, pro-Israel awareness on campus. So bringing someone like you to speak to them, I think it helps show them that, you know, you're not crazy, extreme Right wing that you know that that there is I know you saw it last night you saw the students sitting there and like they're all sitting and listening and and thinking wow this guy really has what to say you know and so so that's the that that's our job our job is to create opportunities where these students can come together and they could be aware of the Jewish community could be aware of Israel in a positive way, which I think that's what you did with your speech on Friday night. Very universal, very inclusive, but still teaching them about Israel, teaching them about Jewish pride, teaching them about what does it mean to be a Jew, what does it mean to support Israel uh, in a very nice and positive way. So if I would be afraid, if we would be afraid of doing it, then why we're here? Mm-hmm. You know, we're here to do things that are uh, a little risky, a little crazy, maybe in some people's opinions, uh, but we've got to do it. Your uh, shul burnt down, and you're rebuilding now. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so last May, we uh, right, right the first week of winter break, sorry, summer break. Um, we were in Miami, and uh, there were Yetel students who were here for Shabbat, 
And at um, three o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, three thirty in the morning, the, uh, we 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 hear from the uh, fire uh, department that there was a fire in the synagogue and the shul completely burned down. Apparently, fire started sometimes after Shabbat, but nobody was here, so nobody saw anything. The entire area is full of students, and there were most of them, almost all of them, were away for uh, first week of break. So by the time they found out about the fire was already and the entire synagogue was gone. So, but nobody got hurt, but the books, well, Sifre Torah were burnt? Yeah, so nobody was there, thank God. Nobody was physically in the building. My son was next door at the house and yeah, we had two Torahs that burned down completely. We had to bury them. We had all ceremony, burying them in Miami in the gravesite and wow. uh, doing all funeral position. And everything, books. Wow! I, I, wow, that's that's intense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, books, uh, all the books, everything we had there, pretty much uh, about quarter million dollars worth of of stuff. Anything from kitchen equipment to, to computers to the, the entire library, and a lot of uh, classes. My wife and I have written down because we are both Israelis, so we write our materials in Hebrew. Although we use English materials, but we write it to ourselves in Hebrew, so we had. Tons and tons of classes. We go down to ourselves, and everything's gone. Wow! And uh, just quick story. My listeners know about this. A few uh, uh, right before COVID, no, right before COVID, what is, around COVID, I was in San Francisco, and my tefillin were stolen. And my tefillin were stolen, and from a car that they broke the windows, and they pulled out what they thought was a. Uh, it was uh, a laptop, but it wasn't a laptop. It was my tefillin. I have my uh, my Rabbeinu, my my Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam tefillin. And uh, at first, it was heartbreaking, and it took me a little time. And then I remembered some Hasidic stories, and it gave me strength again to be like, okay, Hashem, if you want me to restart my life, uh, you know, and buy a new pair of tefillin, and 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 you know. Get going again. Good. I'm ready to be renewed. But a synagogue that you built and fundraised for, and all the stuff and the lessons. How did you deal with that emotionally? And um, what's going on next? So you know the famous story with Rabbi Akiva and his friends that they're going to the Beis Hamikdash and they see a fox going out of the Kodesh Hakodeshim, all the holiest, and they cry and he laughs. And the Rabbi was all sicha, uh, all discourse explaining that. Uh, he was able to see the root of everything, that this is not part of the destruction. This is part of some, something much bigger, that, that without that, this bigger thing wouldn't, happen, wouldn't, wouldn't come. The third place I make, just like you said, mm-hmm. if the prophecy of Uriah, uh, you know, Uriah, was fulfilled, you know, the Beis HaMikdash, that Tzion will be, Tzion to Sadat HaKaresh, Tzion will be plowed like a field, and, he says, now the prophecy of Zechariah will definitely be fulfilled. All the Shavu, Narim Unarot, Ukhotot Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim will be built. So, same thing here. You know, the, the, the only way we look at it, especially as Chassidim, as Chabad Chassidim, we'll go, go up on the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov and the teaching of the, of the Alter Rabbi and all the Rabbis about just looking at things only in positive, everything in Hashem is doing is good. And it must be good. So first, you have that feeling, like you said, oh, the Torah was burned and the books. But then you realize it must be something much bigger that Hashem is kind of pushing us towards building a new building and doing something much bigger. And, and the way, it's not an easy way. It's a very challenging way. And you have to go through a lot. But eventually, without this, the new building, the, the, the coming building, uh, was not going to happen and it is a building site. You have these two caravans out there uh, ready for – it looks like a construction site ready to go. Uh, so you are you know, planning on a, on, a, on a big shul, a big new uh, uh, Chabad center here at uh, FSU. Uh, one more time, though, you didn't quite answer me about the change in the American society, American Jewish society. Uh, I'm talking about students. I'm talking about this like wokeness and, and that kind of atmosphere. Has it impacted you? Do you, do you see that change? Let's put it that way. I'm, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Have you seen a change? And does it impact the way you're able to do events or bring people in? Are, are you more concerned, you know, because, I don't know, for example, the LGBT thing is so, you know, strong and Chabad is clearly an orthodox organization. Like, how, how is this uh, mental change that's happening societally impacting you? 
So I think other campuses that are much more liberal, probably, not probably, I've heard, hearing from my friends, feel that they've been impacted by it deeply and as a, a big impact on what they do and how they deal with it. It's very difficult. In this, in this campus, it's less of an issue. Uh, so, but but you do the change you do see. I think primarily is indifference. People are you know busy with the phones and busy with social media and busy with so many things that they just uh, they, even going back twenty years ago. I think that there was much more interest on the Jewish students. Uh, it was easier to get students to come. While now they're just involved with so many things. That are taking over the time, the, you know. We are competing with with uh, happy hour on Friday night. You know, people going out to the bars. People, there's so many things that takes their time, that takes their attention, that you have to like work very hard and being very creative in creating uh, motivation and inspiration for Jewish students to come out and really, you know, come for Friday night dinner, come for Shabbat, come for 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 a class to you know to care and 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 be involved with the, with the Yiddishkeit. But on the other end, you know, once they do get involved, you do see a tremendous thirst and people wanting knowledge, seeking knowledge, wanting to get involved and wanting to learn about their Jewish heritage. It's just harder to get them into the door and get them to want to, want to be involved. You know, I mean, I'm not talking about this, the, the core group that we have that, you know, that are very involved and are very interested, but... Like the the larger group of people, you have to work harder to get their interest and to get their attention. Rabbi Schneider, I want to thank you. I also want to tell tell you that um, when you're out here in the diaspora, um, you realize how powerful Shabbat is. Uh, Shabbat is powerful. We all know that. But around here on campus, it's like this is the moment. This is the special day to bring them in. I, I like to. I'm thinking about calling it the Eretz Israel of time. Is, is Shabbat, where it's like where it's like a moment of, of holiness, and there was definitely a sense of uh, of holiness. There was definitely a sense of like a Baal Shem Tov style uh, feeling here at your Chabad house. You and your wife run a, a very special place, and the, the guys felt special. And I had a chance to also help one guy out who knew me, and uh, and uh, uh, his name was Yaakov Jacob, and and kind of brought him in a little bit, showed him a little bit of davening, and I could see that he really, he's exactly what you're talking about. He, like, wants it. He has a great thirst. And, by the way, he doesn't know how to read the Hebrew letters, and that's another thing that you're offering here at Chabad, which is just a just basic rudimentary Hebrew. You know, learn Hebrew, just plug in uh, into the stuff that, that uh, thank God, everything's in English also and all that, but to get, you know, the authentic experience. So, Yeshikar Gadol, any other thoughts about? Uh, well, I see you have another thought there. He's not, he's not the only one who came because of you. I think the the, the number of students who came because you knew you were coming, and that's part of the culture we're trying to create, of bringing people like you and bringing students who, who you know know about you or people like you and utilizing this opportunity, like the many students we had last night, to teach them. And, and to, to to open their mind into ideas about uh, being proud of being Jewish, being proud of the Israel, presenting Israel, uh, standing for for you for you right. So um, you know, these opportunities like this are very very important for us. And then, like you said, Shabbos, you see people that taste Shabbos. We had one student here, a uh, young woman who came for Shabbat. And she said, after I've done it once, I can't think of my life without Shabbat. I need it. And and she's still doing it until now. She she hasn't stopped one Shabbos since she did her first Shabbos. So uh, the Shabbos is definitely an essential part of what we do and showing people the beauty of Shabbat, the beauty of... And, and in whatever way, whatever level, for some people... It means like coming and spending an entire Shabbat or sleeping over for some people, I mean, just coming for a Friday night dinner, other, you know, coming for an hour, for half an hour, you know, everybody on their level, but it's definitely a great opportunity to introduce people to the beauty of Yiddishkeit. Uh, and I forgot that there was, that I wanted to say that there was also one lady uh, who is black and is converting. And this is what happens. And I, I, I spoke to her just a little bit. And I just said to her, 
I said to her, uh, she's, she's told me that she's part of the community here and that it's really part of her life and that this is her family. I said to her, you come, and she told me she was converting. I said to her, you come from a Bible background, don't you? She said, yes, absolutely. My father was a pastor and he taught us the Bible. He taught us the love of the Bible. And that's why I can't live without it. The Bible is, the books of, uh, the stories of Avraham are in my life and, and I want to take it forward. And she's not the only one. We have another one, Elijah Gentiles, who was now actually in Jerusalem going through a, a conversion process. So, yes, there are, you have the, the righteous Gentiles that come and want to convert and want to be part of this. And um, we have actually, you know, speaking about Israel, I know you spoke of Shabbat, about the importance of coming to Israel, uh, uh, you know, going to, to, to making an Aliyah. Uh, we have a number of our alumni, a number of the students who went to FSU that live in Israel, live in Jerusalem, you know, studying yeshiva there. We have two students studying in Aish, a couple students studying in Mayanot. Uh, we have a few alum that actually moved there. Uh, and that's all as a result of the work that we do. It's like you talked about the faith and, and the science, you know, on one end, you know, teaching them the Torah, and the other end, teaching them the importance of Israel and the importance of the, uh, you know, of, of the not only the spiritual Israel environment, which is an environment of Torah mitzvot, but also the physical importance of the land of Israel and the holiness of Israel. Or like you saw the students who visited Israel in his senior year of school, and he visited Israel, and as a result of this visit to Israel, you know, he never been here for the last few years, but now he started coming, comes to the Daily Minyan, he's very involved, so definitely Israel is a, the land of Israel is very well connected with the Torah of Israel, the, you know, the Torah, the Jewish people, the teaching, it's all come together and all helps uh, impacting people's lives. Rabbi Schneer Orichman, thank you and the Rebbitson very much for your great work. You guys are awesome. Uh, and thank you for having me here at FSU, not only to give me a chance to speak, but also a chance to see what's really going on here on the front lines, the other front lines. You know, we think Hebron is the front lines, and it is. Uh, but this is also a front lines uh, for the fight against assimilation and for Jewishness and Jewish people. So thank you very much. Thank you. Don't worry. The Ishai Fleischer show will be right back. So stay tuned. All right, folks. Ishai Fleischer here. And I am in Tallahassee, Florida uh, at FSU, Florida State University. And I had the great privilege of speaking this Shabbat at a um, gathering of three Jewish organizations, Chabad, Hillel, uh, and the Jewish Student Union here at a mega Shabbat that brought together these three organizations. The rest of the Shabbat I spent at Chabad. And I was invited out here, and I was excited for the invitation, partially because it's fun to speak to young people. And I had made it recently a kind of inner goal that I would work more to touch young people and not be just hanging out with people my age or older or fundraising or that kind of stuff and get down to like where the young people are these days. I, I, you know, I just, I said to myself, I, I got to be out here and seeing where they're at and touching their lives. And I want to, I want to see what's going on with them. I want to see it for myself. And I also want to impact it. And I got invited. So I was like, you know what? I'm doing this thing. And by the way, interestingly enough, there was this big conference at the IAC, uh, the Israel America coalition, in Austin, and I and there's like a protest there and all kinds of stuff. I see it on the Twitter, but you know what? I could have gone there, but I thought to myself, no, no, no. Let me go to a place where I'm going to have more an impact, not just to sit in an audience and hang out with young people, see what they're at. I'm standing here next to David Glasser, who's a young uh, student here. Uh, where, what, what year are you in at FSU? Uh, so I'm a senior here at Florida State. Okay, so that means that you've been here for many years. Yes, been, this is this is my third year here, uh, but I'm graduating early, so I'm a senior. Yes, and you're looking to law school next year. Yes, plan to go to law school. And you're part of the Chabad uh, house. You're the part of the part of this like little warm family called Chabad of FSU. Yeah, absolutely. I've been part of Chabad of FSU for a couple of years now. Years now, yes. Rabbi Orichman and the Rebbitzen, and we're at this house here. Uh, we're standing outside. It's actually kind of cold. Uh, if you want that coat, there's a coat over there. If you're cold, you can put it on. It might might be worth it. And uh, young, young David, you're 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 already kind of looking forward to in your life to to next steps. You're thinking about law school, and uh, we talked a little bit about uh, you know uh, marriage and that kind of stuff. Uh, you're also an editor and a writer at uh, the conservative conservative n- newspaper that has opened up on campus. I never heard of such a thing. Tell me a little about about this idea of opening a conservative style newspaper on a, on a college campus. 
Yeah, so this is a phenomenon that has been recently spreading across many college campuses, and uh, it's been great to start that uh, here at Florida State. And so we started a new publication called the Capital Collegian, uh, which is supposed to spread the conservative message uh, to students here across campus, uh, and in particular uh, tie in student interest about campus issues uh, that weren't really being talked about in campus media because they tended to lean to the left politically. And so we're getting those conservative voices uh, in the student media ecosystem out there, finally. One of the main topics that came out throughout my Shabbat here uh, was not Israel stuff, was not Israel's judicial system reforms, and it wasn't about apartheid and, 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 um, and uh, what do we call it, occupation and all these issues. No, that was not the issue that came up. The issue that came up was anti-Semitism. Uh, and I was very surprised that that was really the issue, and I wasn't as prepared, and that's why that's why it was, it was, it's good for me to get out here. You, I asked people about you know wh- what kind of anti-Semitism they felt. Then finally tonight, you told me a little bit about a tale that happened through a different club, and I think it was SDS. Yes. Tell me, tell me about that story. Yeah, so uh, this was a very troubling event that occurred on campus a couple of months ago. I was just minding my business, walking to class, uh, and there's an organization here on FSU's campus called Students for a Democratic Society. It's a socialist and avowedly anti-Israel club. And so they were hosting this event uh, in the middle of the week where they basically were yelling anti-Israel slogans, you know, F Israel, Netanyahu genocide, etc. And I was just walking to class on campus and I was just shocked to hear what was going on. Uh, Now, thankfully, there's a former IDF uh, soldier that also goes to Chabad here uh, who was debating them, who was pushing back uh, on this blatant anti-Semitism. Uh, and towards the end of the event, there was somebody who was more moderate, who was a spectator. Wait, who is that guy? Is that guy uh, Yoel? Uh, Noah. Noah. No, I see. Right, Noah. Yes. Yeah. So he's. I met with him. He's a libertarian. Yes. And he's yes. an intense dude. Uh-huh, very he was intense. in the Israeli army, and he was. He's like like a cool guy, yeah. and, you know, but also kind of like wonky and a, you know, and and so so he took them on. Yeah, yeah, he did. He was pushing back. Against against them for probably 45 minutes to an hour. I was just standing there. I was, I was, you know, cheering him on. Uh, it was really great to see. Uh, and towards the end of the event, uh, there was an individual who was talking with Noah and with the individuals who were decrying Israel, the, the socialist club. Uh, and what happened was that uh, this moderate was basically trying to say, oh, they're not blaming the Israeli people. Uh, they just like, you know, dislike the Israeli government and they're just making that known. And the man with the megaphone who was, you know, yelling all these anti-Israel slogans, uh, turns to this moderate person and goes, don't speak for us. We support the Intifada. Long live the Intifada. You know, the Jewish people, the Israeli settlers, they're just as guilty. Uh, and so that was really despicable when it was anti-Semitism rearing its ugly head uh, on this campus, unfortunately. Right. Okay. So so interest, that's just an interesting conversation because uh, the moderate guy is trying to calm it down and be like, well, these people have a legitimate... Uh, you know, they, they have a legitimate voice. They're not like anti-Israel altogether. They're just trying to focus on uh, the specific, um, you know, specific policies. But then the guy himself is like, no, bro. Right. It's not the policies. It's the country. We don't like Israel. Uh, we, we have a problem with Israel. And that, that is, I said to you before, and I think it's important that, that this, this has an advantage, I said to you that before that it's there's an advantage when the bad guys go all the way bad, uh, because when they hate you all the way and they don't hate you part of the way by saying no 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 we only hate this we only hate this Jews fall for that kind of stuff uh, when when they say well if you only compromise like this and like this then we'll we'll understand each other Jews fall for that instead when they say no we have a problem with you altogether there's a certain advantage on that and you know you just interviewed me for your newspaper. And you ask me what is the best way to counteract anti-Semitism. Uh, I said to you that I gave you a few ideas, but I also said there's a certain advantage in anti-Semitism in that it brings Jewish people kind of together in, for example, Chabad here. But then a lot of people, in truth, are afraid to be Jewish publicly because of this anti-Semitism. That, and, and we, I, you know, yesterday a few girls said, yeah, you know, I tuck in my, my necklace and that kind of, that kind of thing. Uh, and I've heard that before. But I want to turn that question to you. Uh, anti-Semitism, is it real? Is it, is it something that you, f- that, that you face? Is it something that you, that, that you have a way of counteracting that you think is, you know, give me the experience of anti-Semitism. You told us the story. Now what about the inner feeling? How does it impact you or your friends? 
Right, exactly. I think there's really two types of anti-Semitism, so to speak, uh, that I face and other Jews face on campus. Number one is the type that I was sort of describing before, you know, with the megaphone, F Israel, Netanyahu genocide, you know, decrying, uh, you know, the Israeli occupation and and believing that Jews aren't, uh, they don't have a right to their homeland, and that's absolutely despicable. Uh, But then there's a second force that's, you know, actively working to subvert the Jewish people, and those are the forces of assimilation. And, you know, it may not be as loud, but it's even more effective because, as you talked about, you have have people that are blatantly saying, you know, you're Jewish, we don't like you. And so that gets people over to be, in a lot of situations, more proud of their Judaism, want to identify and push back uh, against those forces. But then, you know, assimilation tends to take a lot of people down. It tends to take them away from their Judaism. And so, you know, that's an anti-Semitism in and of itself Mm. uh, that I think needs to be, you know, thoroughly combated. And so, you know, I would just, in my personal capacity, I grew up in a Reformed family. I grew up, you know, away from uh, the Jewish religion in large part. And, uh, you know, now I feel like I'm with Chabad and with my involvement here on campus, uh, far more a part of the Jewish people than I've ever been. I'm starting to wear my yarmulke to campus. Uh, I certainly did not grow up doing that, uh, but I'm starting to become more and more proud and, and confident in identifying openly uh, as a Jewish student here. Uh, Rabbi Orichman told me that uh, Michael, one of the students here um, that participates in Chabad, this is his last year, and he went to Israel, and he came back jazzed up about Judaism, and now he's starting to attend Chabad, but he wasn't there beforehand, so his trip to Israel made an impact on him. Do you think, do you think that's true, that like a trip to Israel has a visceral effect on, on people? Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak to my personal experience. Uh, I've only been to Israel once. I'm hoping to change that later this year to go back to Israel. And uh, that was in 2019, where I actually saw Rabbi Fleischer speaking. I saw you speaking uh, in Israel. And, uh, you know, on that trip, I think it may have been the day I saw you speak or, you know, a few days later, uh, we visited Hakotel. And, you know, I I remember distinctly, you know, touching the wall and I just had this swell of emotions, even though I didn't really have this, you know, religious upbringing. I wasn't deeply connected uh, to my Judaism, but it was a very, very very powerful and impactful moment uh, in my life. And so I do absolutely think that, you know, if students, even if they're not from the most religious background, I certainly wasn't, uh, you know, when they go to Israel, they really start to figure out, you know, who they are Jewishly. They begin to identify some more that way. And I think that that is definitely a good way to facilitate their involvement more and more with uh, Jewish groups and organizations on campus. One of the things you told me that you remember from my speech back then was that I said that we're, we're tribal people, we're a badass people. That's what you told me, is that right? Yes. Yep, that's right. And I was like, that's good. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, good, I'm glad I said that uh, because uh, it's so important to not just think of, and I just said that to your interview for your newspaper, which is we're not just a religion, we're a peoplehood. When you come to Israel, you connect with the peoplehood. You see that we are historic people with a land and with a, with a civilization. And, and if you're not part of the religion, you're still part of the peoplehood. So join the peoplehood actively, marry Jewish. And, and, and the, also the physical ability to push back is very important, to be able to see that. That like, yeah, there's anti-Semitism, but it's not like a done deal. We have a country and it knows how to push back against anti-Semitism. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, as you said, I mean, I think it's very, very important uh, that Jews, especially on campuses and, you know, assimilated young Jews who really haven't had exposure to the idea of, uh, you know, Jewish people as a peoplehood, but instead have just grown up with like, oh, you know, it's it's a religion. It's obviously, you know, my ancestors have practiced it and maybe I will, maybe not. You know, a lot of them don't even believe in the fundamental tenets of the faith. And so they've just abandoned it altogether. But, you know, as you were alluding to, you know, we are a tribal people. We're badass, you know, and you're able to see that up close when you go to Israel. And so that's why I think in large part it has such a potent impact, uh, you know, on young Jews like myself, even if not from such a religious background, because you see, oh, this is more than me just going to, in large part, you know, my reform synagogue or, you know, shul occasionally once or twice a year and saying some words and thinking that they're not so significant in my, you know, heart of hearts and I just move on with my life. Uh, And instead, you actually get a full experience. You get immersed in that and you realize, you know, we are people who are fighting, you know, very real enemies uh, in Israel and even, you know, domestically on a different front, you know, with anti-Semitism and everything that's pushing against Jewish people here. And so I think that that's a very, very important experience uh, for Jews to have. David Glasser, we want to wish you continued success uh, in your law school and in, uh, in finishing up at FSU. Uh, we bless you to be continued, uh, continually connected to Chabad and to Jewish religion. 
uh, and of course to the state of Israel. Obviously, we invite you to make your life in the state of Israel, uh, which is awesome. And we are building a country, and it's really exciting. Uh, but in any case, we wish you God's blessings in all of your ways. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Ishai needs coffee. Please help support the show by buying Ishai a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Ishai. Thank you and L'chaim. All right, folks, Ishai Fleischer here in Houston, Texas. I'll tell you more about that in just a minute at the outro of the show. But for now, I just want to give a little Dvar Torah, a little table Torah time uh, to think about this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion has the concluding uh, plagues in Egypt. And, you know, the strikes against Egypt, they're horrific, including the uh, strike, the plague of the firstborns. So it's really a horrific thing that, that God unleashed against the Egyptians in retribution uh, and for other reasons. But uh, I don't want to talk about that so much. I don't want to talk about the plagues. I want to talk about the positive commandments. And we have in our Torah portion maybe one of the most important of all positive commandments in the sense that it's the the thing that releases the Jews out of bondage, and that is the sanctification of the new moon, the new month. God says to the Jews, time is yours. You were slaves, now time is yours. Now time is, you're the master of your time. Uh, and you don't have a master over you except for me, but I give you that freedom to decide time, to recognize the time, to make time yours, to make this, this world one in which the time that you exist in is yours, to make the world a better place. You're no longer subjugated. And now you're free. You're really free to do amazing stuff. That's what God is saying. And the verse uh, is very important, what it sounds like. And it says, um, let me find it for a second. It says, uh, it says, Chodesh Hazel Lachem, Rosh Chodeshim, Rishon Ulachem, Lachatshashana. This is the first month to you, for you. Chodesh Hazel Lachem. This new month is for you. Recognize Passover, the, the period of Passover, and always mark it. And, and call out the new month. If you read that word Chodesh, it also means Chadash. This innovation is yours. This ability to renew things is yours. I give you that power. I'm God, I created the world, but I'm going to give the humanity, especially the Jewish people, the, the ability to create, to make new things. And I was thinking a little bit about the sun and the moon. I was thinking the sun is this like, you can't, you can't touch it. It's, 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 it's the things that, you know, that are immutable in this world. It's the law, it's the way things are, it's the cards that you're dealt. But the moon is much more pliable. It changes and we can decide, do we want to add another lunar month or not? We have much more impact on the moon and has, it's more closer in touch with us. It's not some kind of immutable law. And that's what God says to me. He says, he says, there are things that are immutable, and yet there are things that you can effectuate change. I want to give you that ability to effectuate change. Immediately after that, God says, you know, it's, it's time for me to strike at Egypt, but I want you to separate yourselves by making a sign overtly on your doorways. Put that, do that blood on the doorposts. Uh, some people say that it was an inside of the doorpost, so you would see it as well. But it doesn't matter. Inside or outside, the point is, is that God says, I want you to mark your doors. And that's what we do with the mezuzot, we mark our doorways. Just, have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to mark your doorway? To just say, I want you, God, in this room. As I walk into this room, I remember you. Whatever happens in this room, I want it to be involved with you. I want you to see things. I want you in. So many people in this world want God out of their life. They're embarrassed about God in their life. They don't want Him to see things. Or they, or they want to make believe that He doesn't see things. Jewish people, Judaism, what it really calls for is to say, God, we want you in. We want you involved with our mundane life. We want you to see what we're up to. We want you to make sure that we're going in the right direction. It's not just that you help us. It's that we're inviting you to look and to, and to make sure that we act in accordance with the fact that you're looking. So these are two thoughts about, uh, about this Torah portion, about the breaking, of the, uh, breaking out of bondage. It's, uh, first and foremost, it's the freedom to have your time in this world to do stuff. And that I give you the right to innovate. I give you the right to make new in this world, to create. And if you think about the Jewish people throughout history, really, in many ways, that has been their uh, um, form of contribution. Is that you know they're not they're not necessarily the great laborers, but you know, or the great athletes, but they are great the great innovators of thought. 
in the channeling of innovation to this world. It's God's innovation, but channeled through the people. Once they're free from, from bondage, you're free to create. Uh, and the other thing is set yourself apart and bring me in. Bring me in to your life. That's what the doorpost, the mezuzah is about. Bring me into your life, God says. And I think that Jews and non-Jews, whoever loves Israel, can bring Israel into their life with a little bit of wine from the land of Israel, with a picture from the land of Israel, with books, holy books from the land of Israel, or talk about you know, the, the Torah of Israel, uh, or listen to this show. And those are some of the thoughts from this week's Torah portion. May we all merit to Exodus, to do the Exodus. We have to do the act of Exodus. We have to break out of our own bondages, of our own limitations, uh, and allow us allow ourselves to be that creative, godly being who brings, draws God into this world. In the end, it's not just on our doorways, it's into this very existence, this life, that we're asking God to get closer to. Bezrat Hashem, thank you Hashem for the opportunity to speak words of Torah. All right, concluding thoughts right after this. All right, folks, Yishai Fleischer, and I'm in Houston, Texas. That's right, I flew in from Florida to Houston. You won't believe for what, just for a little party, just for a gathering. Uh, of the uh, celebration of the life of the great Rabbi Yisrael Abu Chatzera, the Baba Sali. And this is uh, at a friend's house. He hosts a big party with hundreds of Jews and Israelis here in Houston, Texas. that come to celebrate the life of the Baba Sali because he's very uh, enamored of this rabbi and the rabbi saved his life. And I'm here just for a few more hours. I landed a few hours ago. I'm leaving in a few hours. <laughs> And that's part of the life of uh, going from place to place and connecting with Jews, with pro-Israel people. Along the way, you know, crazy things happen. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, I'm at the airport here at Houston a few hours ago, and my bag doesn't come out. And I'm like, oh boy, this is not the time for that. So I go to the counter, and there's a lady there. She looks like a, you know, an, India, an Indian from India. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I don't know, you know, can she help me? She just looks at me. She goes, where are you from? I go, I'm from Israel. She goes, I am Pakistani. I'm a Muslim. And I've gone to Israel. And she starts telling me about how her friends told her not to go to Israel. How Jewish partners of her son's business told her that Israel is going to be dangerous for her. But she wanted to go to, uh, to Jerusalem. And she wanted to go also to the tomb of Abraham. She has been to Hebron. And she, I told her what I was doing. She couldn't believe it. A shudder went through her. This happens to me at the airports a lot. And she, um, she asked me to pray. She's like, you go to pray at the tomb of Abraham regularly? I said, yes, almost every day. She said to me, you know, please pray for my, two, for my three uh, Muslim sons that they get married. I said, give me their names, you know? And she's like, really? And she, she was so excited by the prospect that this Jew, and this is a Pakistani Muslim lady in Houston, Texas. She says to me, I, I saw that Jewish women also cover their hair. And I said, yes, my wife covers her hair. She goes, unbelievable, nobody knows that. Unbelievable. So anyway, she was so excited. So you never know who's out here uh, to be your friend and to connect to the story of Abraham. And I just want to thank everybody out there. It's been a great trip. And I'm on my way home. Bezrat Hashem, I'm on my way home. Please pray for me. When I get home, I've got to pop through New York City, go to the tomb of the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, and uh, head back for Shabbos to the Holy Land. It's been an amazing trip here. And I do want to thank all the folks that make this show possible. Yocheved Seidman, Moshe Herman, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lewin were live. And I want to thank all of our sponsors to the show, uh, which include, of course, Retro Watch Guy. They got great watches. I can't wait to get back to my uh, Tissot watch that I got uh, for this coming Shabbos. Check out Retro Watch Guy. Put in coupon code Yishai. Bang. Uh, then we got a good friends at JewishPress.com putting out great news every single day. They are really, a lot of people are telling me that since I recommended to them Jewish Press, they really know what's going on. They understand it better. So that's JewishPress.com. They have a great email. They put out our show every single week. Uh, check out our good friends at ProhibitionPickle.co.il making yummy kosher food, even for a Baba Sally celebration. ProhibitionPickle.co.il. Great pickles, really. All kinds of pickles. The pickles that will blow your head off. Great pickles. Okay, so check them out. And, of course, uh, High on the Har. Highonthehar.com will get you up in the Temple Mount, up and running. you got to go to Israel. And when you go to Israel, you want to go to the Lech Lecha that goes to the land of Israel, and then the Lech Lecha that takes you to Har Moriah, to Eretz Moriah, to the land of Moriah, that is, of course, the Temple Mount, which is a land all on its own. 
I think I just figured that out, that it says Eretz Moriah because the Temple Mount is a land all on its own. So check out highintheheart.com, my good friend MJ and Rabbi Levy making it happen over there. And of course, of course, hebronfund.org. When you're done with the Temple Mount, go visit the mamas and the papas and keep us strong out there because we're keeping it strong for the whole Jewish people. That's hebronfund.org. Check out our tours, hebronfund.com forward slash tour. Uh, I want to thank the Land of Israel Network uh, for making it happen. I want to thank El Al for flying me around and also the other airlines. Thank you very much, El Al. You're doing a great job for the Jewish people and lovers of Israel bringing us to the Holy Land. And I can't wait to get to Terminal 4 at JFK and jump on that plane. But Ezrat Hashem, the minute I'll sit down in El Al, I'll feel like I'm already home. I'll feel like I'm already home. I also want to thank the good folks at the Hebron Winery for making the Machpelah wine that I've bought and given to people around here. And really, like, you want to you wanna, like, feel that you're in the land of Israel? Drink wines from the land of Israel. It's so easy, so tasty, so... The alcohol in there, that's a, that's a holy alcohol. That, that'll make you, that'll transport you. You know, I don't, you know, in Star Trek, they have this, like, beaming thing, and sometimes that's not very believable. You will be beamed to the land of Israel when you drink a little bit of the wine from the land of Israel. And that's it. So I want to thank you very much. Please bless me to get home safely and soundly with all my luggage. Got some stuff for the kids. And lots of love to you. And thank you to all the folks that were on the show this week. And God bless you. Write me an email, yishayishayfleishon.com. Support us. Buy me a coffee, uh, forward slash yishay. And be part of the Jewish people's great return to the land of Israel. Whether you're Jewish or you're just friends of Israel, lovers of Israel, you are part of the great story because Hashem is making his story come to life and we're a part of it wherever we are. And I'm in Houston, heading to the Holy Land. God bless you, and shalom.